Hello and welcome to the Highway to Health show. My guest for today is Elizabeth Sherman, a health and weight loss coach who works with high functioning professionals, helping them improve their performance through sustainable habits. As you will listen in this episode, I'm very jealous of Elizabeth since, well, she lives very close to my hometown of Cancun. And not that I dislike being in Spain, but if you haven't been to the beautiful Mexican Caribbean, you're missing out. In any case, in this episode, Elizabeth and I talk about coaching and the impact it can have in other people's lives. She shares with us what she's noticed are the main factors behind her clients' success and why some people seem to not benefit from working with a coach as well. From my perspective, having a coach is tremendously empowering. A coach helps you see your blind spot and gives you the tools to get past your obstacles. A coach also challenges you to be better. There's a reason why every top-level athlete and really Every top-level performer has a coach. Now, before we go into today's episode, I want to remind you that we're still taking applications for our group coaching program. I currently don't have any more openings for one-on-one work, but you can join the waitlist for that as well. To learn more and to apply, just head on over to dre.show forward slash coach. But I don't want to keep you any longer. Here's my conversation with Elizabeth Sherman. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, welcome back to the Highway to Health show. I am joined today by Elizabeth Sherman. As I was sharing with you in our introduction, she does a lot of very, very cool things, but mostly I'm very jealous about her right now because she is where I want to be back in, and that is down south in Mexico near Cancun. So Elizabeth, other than very, very happy, which I can clearly see, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is going to be exciting. For sure. For sure. So why don't you share with us a little bit about your journey into coaching and to helping people change their habits and their mindset? Yeah. So I actually started out in corporate America and I was working for a software company and I was feeling really kind of stuck. Like, how am I making the world a better place? I was just feeling really conflicted. And my mom had just passed away from breast cancer. I was trying to figure out how do I not get breast cancer? And I found out all of these risk factors that go into getting disease, like being overweight. And at the time I was significantly overweight. And so I decided to get myself healthy and going through this kind of young midlife crisis, I decided that I wanted to help other people get healthier too. And so that just kind of started my whole process of getting into coaching, becoming a wellness coach. I started out with nutrition and personal training as well. And this was 12 years ago. No one knew really what a coach was. And so for the longest time, I really just was a personal trainer. It was so frustrating because I knew that I could help people in such a more profound way. But I didn't know how to explain that to people. And they didn't really know what to do with me either. And so over the course of time, coaching has become more prevalent. And it's really allowed me to then help people in a better way than just 
showing up and having them exercise or giving them a diet, for example. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that coaching has evolved quite a bit in realms other than the obvious or what we used to think about for coaches, which was just sporting different disciplines. And in reality, it is so much more than just telling people what to do. And it is so much more than just showing them the ropes. And like you're saying, you start as a personal trainer and people think like, well, you're just supposed to give me my routine, right? And tell me which exercises to do. But how did you actually start transitioning into coaching people? Into How did you realize that this was something that you needed to help them with? Well, it was so fascinating to me because I would have two clients and one would just take off and be able to accomplish their goals. And then I would have another one who just couldn't get it together. So it was just so curious to me, like how, and even for myself, you know, I had no problem working out every day still to this day, but there are other pieces that I really have trouble with, like for instance, eating. And so it was always really curious to me why something works for one person and doesn't work for another, or why someone can get their exercise habits together, but they can't get a hold of their eating or vice versa. And so that was really the foray into me exploring more instead of just doing personal training and really exploring the mindset or the motivation around why some of us can accomplish our goals and some of us can't. I see. And what did you find out in that regard? (laughs) Well, so part of it is certainly our environment and how we set up our, um, you know, the way that our life works. So what we want to do is we want to peg one habit to another. What that means is that let's say that you wanted to start exercising first thing in the morning. And so what I've done with some of my clients is told them specifically, okay, we don't want to have that second cup of coffee. What you want to do is immediately when you get out of bed, put on your exercise clothes, have your one cup of coffee. And then once you do that, then move to exercising versus not pegging that to a habit and saying, oh, I'll get to it later on. And so what happens is we can really establish a habit or something that we do on a routine basis. For sure. And one of the things that we've noticed and with my years in medicine in general and health is that a lot of the times it's not so much about us doing things so that we can be healthy. It's about finding out what we need to stop doing. Because most of the time it is a matter of stop doing certain things like you know, eating what we shouldn't be eating or eating after hours or all these different bad habits that we have. I think it is just as important to be able to add new habits as it is to be able to break old bad habits. So how can you help someone break those old bad habits? This is a really good question. And actually my answer of this question has evolved over the years. So what we know is that a habit consists of a routine a cue, and then a reward. And so what that means is that we have a certain set of behaviors or thoughts that happen before we actually do our quote-unquote bad habit. And I say quote-unquote because that's going to be different for everyone. How we determine whether a habit is good or bad is whether it's interfering with parts of our lives or not. So if you don't want the habit anymore, then we're going to call it a bad habit. 
So once we have this pattern of either behaviors or thoughts, then we do whatever it is that we want to stop doing, and then we get the reward from it. And it's also important to understand that even though we have a bad habit now that we want to get rid of, it's somehow serving us in some way. And so it's really important for us to understand how we are enjoying that habit. So for example, you know, you mentioned eating after dinner. That's a habit that a lot of people have. And it's something that even I crave sweets after dinner too. And so how is that serving me? Initially, what I would suggest to folks is that they would interrupt that habit loop somehow. So for example, if after dinner, I clean up the dishes and then I sit on the couch and then 10 minutes later, I'm like, ooh, I want some ice cream, then we need to interrupt that pattern somehow. So you could either sit in a different chair, you could go for a walk, you could start doing something different, maybe not watching television, but reading instead. That's one method of getting rid of a bad habit. But what's really interesting is that that all has to do with what we call neural pathways. So in our brain, we have these circuitry that connects the dots for what's going to happen next. And when we adopt a new habit, it's important to understand that that old habit is still there. Those neural pathways are still there. This was always really fascinating to me. Like for instance, you know, people who haven't smoked in years and then all of a sudden something happens and they decide that they're going to smoke again. And that's because that circuitry is still in our brains. And so where before I mentioned that this is kind of a long answer to your question, but I mentioned before that my thoughts about changing habits has changed over the years where before I would only suggest that we disrupt the habit loop. What we're learning now is that actually what's called surfing the urge is actually a much more effective method of getting rid of habits long-term. And what that means is that when we have the urge to smoke or to you know, have a drink where we've quit before or have something sweet after dinner, all we have to do is really acknowledge that we have this urge, feel uncomfortable. And I know that that's really difficult for a lot of us, but really feel the feeling of being uncomfortable and wanting to do that thing. And eventually it will pass. And after X number, like a hundred times that we feel that urge and let it fly by, we'll pretty much be over it. So here's the thing, or the way I look at neural pathways, and you're absolutely right. So we have these different pathways. And the way I always explain it to my patients and to my students is that it's kind of like that big path that we see on a forest. And if people are constantly walking in the same path, they're going to create a little path, right? So that the next couple of people who come in, they're obviously going to walk that path because it's easier to travel. And our neurons do exactly the same thing. They start carving out different kinds of reactions. So when we have a trigger, we react this way. Trigger, we react. And it's exactly what you just mentioned, right? So if you know that after dinner, you go and you sit in your special chair and immediately you feel the urge 
for ice cream, then it means that you have the trigger right there. So you can either avoid it or you can put something else in that place. But the other thing that you mentioned, which is incredibly true, is that those neural pathways, they stick around. So if nobody walks that path for a little bit, some grass will start growing, but it still will more likely than not, not be as grown as the rest of it. So when people start walking through it again, it'll be there. So when we go back to those same triggers, and it happens with smokers, like you very well said, somebody stops smoking, and then they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. And suddenly they pick up a drink, and immediately they remember why they liked smoking when they went out. So now they need to smoke again. So it is quite important. Now, what I hadn't heard, though, was about surfing the what do you call it? Surfing the what? Surfing the urge. Surfing the urge. And I, I that sounds hard. <laughs> it is hard. And risky. <laughs> well, you know, the hardest part about it is actually being mindful about it and being intentional about it. Because oftentimes when we have negative habits, we have a feeling about it. And so often we have this emotional feeling about doing this habit, whether it's, you know, overeating or having something sweet. And sometimes the emotional feeling is really just desire. So I want that chocolate. I deserve that chocolate because I was good and I showed up to work and I was an adult. And so it's really uncovering that discomfort and really feeling the emotions that come up when we deny ourselves something. Okay. Okay. Well, then that does make sense. But then again, I'm thinking of somebody who's trying to resist an urge and telling them that, you know, they need to serve it. You do need to have that awareness. And I think that's a big problem nowadays. We are not aware a lot of the times about what we're doing and how we're acting and how we're reacting. And we can have these lofty goals and we can have these ideas and these ideals of saying, you know what, I want to lose weight. I want to be skinny. I want to be fit. I want to do all those things. But in reality, when the challenge comes, getting fit, for instance, is not about going out for a 10 mile run. It's about being active every single day, one little bit every single day. It's not about saying, okay, every Saturday I'm going to go for five miles. No, it's about every single day. You're going to make a lot of little choices and those little choices are going to add up. So in reality, the thing that I think happens the most is that we're not aware and we're just living on autopilot and suddenly it just happens like, Oh, screw it. I just did it again. Right. Um, but like you said, I think the biggest challenge is that this is raising that awareness, right? Yes. And what you said is absolutely exactly true. That so often, so many of us live our life out of default, out of choosing the easier path versus choosing what we consciously want to do. And so, yeah, when we decide that, hey, I'm not where I want to be. I want to change. What typically happens, and going back to habits, is that a lot of times people will make a huge change in their lives. And they're like, okay, I'm completely unfit because I haven't been exercising and eating right for you know the past five or 10 years. You know, I've been involved in my job or I'm starting a new family or whatever the situation is. And so they think that the way to get to where they want to go is by making these huge shifts. And that's just too uncomfortable for the brain to make that leap. 
And so what we really want to do is we want to make small incremental changes and allow our brains and our bodies to adjust especially as we get older and people are like, oh, I used to run when I was a kid. I'm going to go out and run now. And it's like, well, maybe we should slow down a little bit and run for a little bit instead of like five miles. Well, for sure. You need to start slow and you need to start building up to that again. Because if you look at it, when we first learned to walk, right, you're not going to expect your two-year-old, your three-year-old to go out for a run, right? So then if you have not exercised for 15 or 20 years, since you were in high school and suddenly you see yourself as an empty nester and you're turning 50 and you go like, okay, now I'm going to get back into it. Well, you got to start slow. You're not going to just say, well, I left off running five miles or 10 miles or 15 miles or however long it is. You have to build that strength again. You have to build that stamina again. And you have to walk that path. You have to, once again, carve that little neuronal pathways because it's also so much about that as it is about willpower. Because what we know from people who follow healthy habits and who follow positive habits, and we all have good habits in different areas of our life, we can't all have bad habits everywhere, is that they're effortless. So people who make good health choices, they don't suffer throughout the day because they have to eat a salad. They simply, that's what they do. That's what healthy people do. People who work out every day it's not a challenge for them. They do it in automatic. People who are disciplined at work and come in and have their schedule and are productive, they don't suffer through it. What I love what you're saying is it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of our interview is that you know I was so curious about why is it that habits stick for some people and they don't for others. And so there's this idea <laughs> I'd like to illustrate for you. There was a pyramid. And the pyramid had five different layers on it. At the very top of the pyramid, we have our environment. And oftentimes when people want to make a change, they change their physical environment. So for example, I want to start eating healthier. I'm going to go into my kitchen. I'm going to clear out all of the bad food and I'm going to stock my kitchen with healthy foods. Okay. So that's just one example. But what tends to happen is when we get stressed out, our brains go back to those old neural pathway circuitry. And so what we want to do is we actually want to move down that pyramid a little bit. So below uh, environment, we have habits. Okay. And so Again, habits are things that we can do on a regular basis. But if we're still not convinced that what we're doing is out of alignment with who we are as people, we're going to feel like we're frauds. Okay. We're going to feel like we're not actually doing this, like we're playing in a play, for example. Okay. Now, let me come back to that in just a second. The third layer down from habits is actually skills. So an example of that might be learning how to properly cook or learning how to exercise properly and not get hurt. And then below that is beliefs. And the bottom layer is actually our identity. And so just like what you were saying is people who see themselves as healthy people don't have any problem with keeping their environment in check. They don't have any problem with keeping their skills 
fresh. They don't have any problem with doing their habits because they have the belief and the identity that they are a healthy person. And so it's really, when we talk about behavior change, we really need to get down to that bottom layer of who do I think I am as a person? And when I believe that I am actually a healthy person, then I'm going to automatically adopt the beliefs. So what does a healthy person do? They don't overeat. They don't blow off their workouts or they don't stop their workouts halfway through. And all of these things, they get eight hours of sleep a night. So what are all of the beliefs and then skills, habits, and environment that support that belief structure, that identity. Exactly. But I think that the hard part there is a lot of the times when we don't have that identity, we cannot just expect to adopt that identity because then that's what you were saying. People feel like they're a fraud. So that's where the challenge really comes. If you don't have that identity for X or Y reason, because you were raised differently, because you adopted it differently, because you went to a school where they taught you something else, it doesn't really matter. The truth of the matter is if now you want to adopt a different identity because it's going to serve you better, First, the efforts have to come into, okay, let me change my environment because that's the one thing that I can change. And once you change your environment, you're going to start changing the rest of it and you're going to get the skills to become healthy. And then you're going to start believing it until you finally become that healthy person. And once you're that healthy person, it doesn't matter because now you can be surrounded by unhealthy choices. It's simply not something you do. And an identity is kind of like what, and this is something that I learned from Seth Godin, and he talks about it in terms of marketing, obviously. But he says, you know, a tribe or an identity is like, they simply identify because people like us do things like this. So it's as simple as that, you know, healthy people do healthy things. And once you adopt that identity, then you're no longer being challenged. It's like when people say like, oh my God, I don't know how you could have grown up there surrounded by all those great bakeries and not eat them. It's like, well, that's not what we did. It's as simple as that, you know, or now that we are back here in Spain and there's bread everywhere and I haven't eaten bread in a while. It's fine. I don't feel tempted. But my wife, she was raised here. And for her, it is a challenge because she's like, oh my God, I walked past the bakery and I remember all those things and the smells and all these things. So yeah, I think it is a matter of recognizing that there are different steps, different layers. And in order for it to become effortless, you do need to put in the work. And for some people, they might already have done it. And that's why it's so bad to compare ourselves to somebody else. Like, well, how can so-and-so do it? And, and she doesn't even feel tempted. Well, because she has that belief. Either she did the work or maybe it was never a challenge for her or whatever it is, but you cannot compare yourself because if you need to do the work, you need to do the work. And it's as simple as that, I think. Well, and I love what you're saying right there because so often we think that all we need to do is get the right diet or get the right workout and we're suddenly going to achieve our goals. But really what it comes down to is all of that mindset work that needs to go into adopting those healthy habits. And so one thing that I do with my clients now is I kind of challenge them in terms of asking well, how does a person who is healthy, what are the beliefs that they have about themselves? You know, what types of beliefs or things do you need to believe about yourself in order to become that person that you want to be in the future? 
Yeah. Cause that is going to be the key to someone who is consistent in their habits and someone who isn't. For sure. Exactly. And it is like when you ask them, like, well, if you saw something, if you arrive at a restaurant and you sit down and you see that somebody left a tip there for the waiter, would you take it? And everyone's going to say like, no, of course not. But nobody's watching. Yeah, but I'm not a thief. Okay, perfect. That means that you don't have that identity. Right. That's why it's effortless for you. It requires zero willpower for you to not take that $5 bill or $20 bill if you live in California. But the thing is, it's all about us adopting and having and recognizing that it is all about identities. And it is a struggle for us to not take the pastry that somebody offers us, to not take the muffin when we go to Starbucks, to not take the samples that they're giving out at Costco or whatever it is, right? So I think it is very, very important to recognize these things. Now, you mentioned a little bit and you just briefly touched upon it. Is this kind of like the same structure that you work with your clients in? Yeah, it is. So what I do, every client journey is a little bit different. So I work with my clients in the areas of sleep, stress management, eating, and movement. (laughs) And so what we do is at the beginning of working with clients, I'll have them create kind of like a vision of what they want their future self to be like. And then through that vision, I will help them create short-term goals. So we'll then have an action plan on getting them to that end result. And that might mean that they need to build skills or habits in one of those different areas. It could mean that they need to think about themselves differently. So yeah, I work with them both on habit formation in terms of, I don't want to say training, but knowledge transfer. So letting them know about, you know, nutrition or about exercising. And then we do a little bit of mindset work whenever that seems to pop up. For example, if they're having a hard time adopting those new habits. Yeah. Well, most of the time, I think that it lies in the foundation of all of this work and being mindful and being aware. And there are two things. And it's funny because I've had this conversation at least two or three times in the last two or three interviews, actually, that I've done for the podcast. And it is that... People don't necessarily need to be told that there's a certain habit that they need to change. Most of the time, people will be able to tell you, yeah, I need to change that. So for instance, going back to smoking, a smoker will tell you that they need to stop, right? Even if they lie to themselves and they say, no, it's because I really enjoy it. You know, I I can't believe how somebody could enjoy that. But anyway, they'll say that, right? But if you ask them and you say, okay, if you went back to right before you started to smoke your first cigarette, Knowing what you know today, would you take that first smoke? Invariably, they'll say no, right? So they know that they need to change that habit. But the problem is that a lot of the times they don't know how to make the decision to change because we can change fast in our head. But what's really the struggle is making the decision and eventually adopting that new identity of, okay, I'm not a smoker. Do you want a cigarette? No, because I'm not a smoker. Simple as that, right? And I think those are the things that take a long time and it does require a lot of mental work. Yeah. So there's a really good book by two brothers, Chip and Dan Keith, called Switch, How to Change When Change is Difficult. And they liken habit change to a rider riding an elephant through the jungle. And we already talked about environment, but the path that the rider and the elephant are on is a person's environment. The rider 
is our rational brain and the elephant is our emotional brain. And so in order for the rider to turn the elephant to go in a different direction, the elephant has to want to go. So an example of that is, let's go back to smoking. My environment would be that my car is now, you know, a smoke-free environment. I've broken all of my ashtrays, thrown away my cigarettes and my lighters. But if I know that I should be stopping smoking, but if I don't really want to stop smoking, I'm not going to stop. It's like that elephant that's just going to go wherever it wants to go. And so when our environment will allow things to be easier, and so the rider and the environment can kind of direct the elephant. But if our emotional side isn't on board, we're not going to do it. For sure. Yeah, we need that emotional buy-in. And and that's why I keep saying, you know, a lot of the time when you're going to read a book and you're going to talk to someone or you're going to see all these different methods of doing it. But in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. If it wasn't, there wouldn't be a need for so many experts and so many books to be written, coaches, and (laughs) we simply would stop the bad (laughs) habits that we wanted to stop, correct? So I do think it's very multi-layered. But one of the things that keeps popping up constantly is, number one, that awareness that we need to be aware And number two, that we need to make a decision that we want to change. So we need to, and that can be the emotional, that emotional way in. We need to decide, you know what, that is it. I'm doing it because I need to, because for my kids, for whatever the reason it is, but we need to make that decision. And then we need to execute so that we can eventually adopt that new identity because, and it happens in everything. It happens when you want to become a better student. It happens when you want to become better at a sport or more disciplined, or you want to play an instrument, or you want to improve your health. A lot of the times we tend to think that habits are just to do with our health because you know we're not eating well, we're not exercising. But in reality, it has to do with everything else. It has to do you know, with, with, with schooling and with work. How many people struggle with procrastination, for instance? And these are people who are employed and we come to work every day or or who have a job and come to work every day. And still we're here several hours and we only dedicate very few of them to doing what we need to do. And we procrastinate the rest of it. And it's a cause for stress. And if we ask any procrastinator, would you like to stop procrastinating? Do you think it's serving you? They're going to say, no, I hate it. I hope I could change it. But in reality, most of us aren't changing it, right? Well, so that's actually really interesting. There's another resource that I want to give your listeners, which is The Neuroscience of Change by Kelly McGonigal. And she's the one who talked about surfing the urge. And she wrote about procrastination and how this changed my life because I used to be a huge procrastinator. And I was always wondering, like, why do I procrastinate? Like at the beginning of my career as a personal trainer, people would call me and I would take a week to call them back. I'm like, why am I doing that? This is my business. And it wasn't until she wrote that when we procrastinate, we are avoiding a negative feeling. And usually it's some sort of anxiety. And so I took that information and it was like a light bulb for me. It allowed me to then see when I started procrastinating, what was I feeling? And so what I realized is that I had an enormous amount of anxiety and fear 
around whatever it was that I was procrastinating. And it was at that point that I could realize that I could put off, I could keep procrastinating, but it wasn't going to make that anxiety go away. It It would put it off for a little bit, but the anxiety would get worse and worse and worse. And that actually allowed me to not completely stop procrastinating, but it really allowed me to get curious about why am I putting this off? And the same thing can be true then for people who are putting off exercising, that why am I not doing what I said that I wanted to do? And so really getting curious about why am I avoiding that? For sure. And you said it right there. We end up doing it when the anxiety is too much. And we're like, okay, you know, we put up something until the day before the deadline. And even that day, we only start doing it when it's really imperative because otherwise we're not going to be able to finish until then. Because at that point, the anxiety of not starting is more than the anxiety of starting and not doing it right. And I just heard yesterday, and I don't remember exactly where I was listening to a podcast as well. And the person speaking there was also talking about procrastinating. And he said that, A lot of the times we believe that we are not going to put off things that we want to do. And he said, if you're really passionate about it, you're not going to put it off. And he said, that's the biggest lie because that's the one thing that we put off all the time. We're not passionate about it. We're not even bothered. We don't care about it. But for instance, in your case, again, your example, and it's your business, why were you putting it off? Because there was a risk that you were not going to succeed, that we were going to call somebody back and that they were going to say, you know what, I don't really want to work with you. So you, you put it off. Exactly. Despite it being something that you wanted to do, because if it was something that you didn't care about, you simply wouldn't call them back at all. But because there was a risk there of failing, of being rejected, of not getting what you really want, then that's what we put it off. And the same is true for pretty much everything. And we have to accept that there's going to be things that we're not going to like. And most of the time, we tend to romanticize pretty much everything. And we think like, oh, you know what? It should be easy to be healthy. And I should be able to exercise liking it. And I've always said it, for instance, here, I said, I hate going to the gym. I hate exercise. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, this is so great. I like, I absolutely hate it. I get there. And when I used to work with a personal trainer, he knew it. He saw me walk in. He's like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to. Like, no, I don't. I, I really don't want to do this. So let's just get it over with. And he would joke. He'd say like, I didn't even talk. Like, no, I'm pissed off because you're making me exercise. So I just want to finish and get the hell out of here if you don't mind. Because I never enjoyed it, but I knew that it was what I needed to do. And that was that. But then again, it's very easy for me to fall into slump and stop exercising. Yeah. I mean, I have to make myself do it too. I'm always happy that it's over. I'm always really, not always, but for the most part, I don't want to do it either. I'm right with you. I always enjoy it afterwards, but when I'm there, it's like... Because he's like, no, no, you have to rest. Like, no, I have to leave. So, so four <laughs> sets. Let's start with the next one. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, those were the good days back in Cancun. I had a great trainer, and and you know we still have a good relationship. And that's the thing. You know, I learned that I had to find a system that could keep me safe from myself because otherwise, I was going to talk myself out of doing the things that I needed to do. I was very good at. I've always been very good at that. And we all are very good at talking ourselves out of something and reasoning ourselves out of it. And like, you know what? I'll just have that slice of pizza today because I'll work out extra tomorrow, you know, or I'll just, because I had a good breakfast today or because I was good at lunch so I can have it or all of those things that we end up telling ourselves. So it is not as simple as a lot of the times we tend to think that it should be. 
because I think that's setting us up for failure. We think that, oh, it should be easy because it's what I want to do. Like, no, it's going to be hard. It, it is a challenge. Otherwise, anyone would do it. So Elizabeth, this has been a great interview so far. Normally, and you told me that you've listened to the podcast before. So I always ask my guests to share their top two or three pieces of actionable advice that they can have for listeners. So somebody who's listening to us right now who might be thinking, you know what? That is exactly what I need. I need to start figuring out how I can change some of these bad habits and how I can adopt some positive habits that are going to help me steer my life into a better direction. I'm not saying that they're completely lost, right? But they might just want to adopt certain new behaviors. What would be your top two or three recommendations for this person? Okay. So number one is, okay, and this is all going to go back into the interview. So number one is if you rationally know that you need to change a behavior, but you don't really want to change your behavior, you know, I'm going to say, take a hard pass on that. And here's why, because when we choose to do something that we're not all in on, what's going to happen is that we're going to fail. And when we fail at that thing, it's just our brain providing more evidence towards ourselves of why we're not good enough and why we suck and why we're never going to be healthy again or anything like that. So if you're not all in on your new behavior change, my advice is don't do it until you are ready for the change. And you'll know that when you're ready. The next thing is, again, for adopting new habits, peg that habit to something that you're existing already doing. Okay. And then if you want to get rid of a habit, again, the best way to do that is through surfing the urge and really getting uncomfortable. And I know it's terrible advice, but that's my best advice. That's going to be your long-term solution. So it's not terrible advice. It's just hard advice. <laughs> it's Good advice, advice, which is difficult right. to follow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And like I said, it, it sounds risky at first, but it might be something that is worth a shot. And you never know, it might end up being positive. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people who do stop, for instance, and going back to the same example, who do stop smoking, they say that, sure, I did have the urge for X amount of months or for X amount of years afterwards. And then suddenly I didn't have it. And it's just a matter of taking it one day at a time. Uh, most addicts will say that as well. Like, sure, of course, I had it for a little bit and it was worse at first and then it got better, right? Yeah. So where can people go to find out more about you, perhaps even work with you? Awesome. So I am all over the interwebs. You can find me at my website at elizabethsherman.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at Elizabeth Sherman and Instagram. I'm esherman68. And then you can also find me on Facebook. Perfect. Perfect. I'll make sure to link to all of those in our show notes and the episode's description so that people can go straight into each one of those. Is there any one particular network or social network that you're more active in that people can definitely say like, oh, you know what? She's going to reply to me here. Yeah. I mean, I'll reply on all. I do go to all of the social networks, but you know, you can find my email on my website, which I'll definitely reply to. I'm most active on Facebook. I also have a group, a women's only health related group that if people want to join that, then they can do that as well. Awesome. And have a direct line to me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to link to all of those resources. I certainly hope that some of our listeners do take you up for that. Before we say goodbye, though, I do want to acknowledge you and recognize you for the work that you're doing. And not only, you know what, for recognizing that there's a need 
to help people and to guide them and to coach them and to facilitate change. Because in reality, once again, just like everything in health, and I've always said that health is an active pursuit and each of us is responsible for health. It's not our doctors. It's not the people in front of you. And we're just really facilitator. So being able to facilitate that change for people, I think it's of tremendous value. And I just want to acknowledge you for that. And thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me today. This has been amazing. Good. I'm happy you had a good time. And for everyone listening, this has been a phenomenal episode. If you want to change your habits, if you want to adopt healthier habits, if you want to change some of the bad habits or get rid of some of the bad habits, do take this advice seriously. Take advantage of Elizabeth's offer and do go visit her, send her an email, visit on her website, on Facebook, anywhere else, and take care of it. Remember that the most important thing is, number one, to be aware of it, and number two, to make the decision that you actually want to do something about it. And then it's okay also to ask for help. A lot of the times we believe that we need to be able to take care of this by ourselves, and we need to be strong enough, and we just need to be, you know, those amazing super people. And in reality, it's completely fine to call out, to reach out for help. So make sure that you do that. And having said that, Elizabeth, once again, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great episode for all of you listening. You've been listening to Elizabeth Sherman and Dr. E talk about your bad and your good habits. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you here next week. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. What was your favorite takeaway? Tag me on Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know. As always, you can find the links to everything mentioned in this episode's description and obviously in our show notes as well. Just scroll down to your podcast app and tap on the appropriate link. And before you go, remember to check out my new coaching programs at dre.show forward slash coach. See the different options, learn more, ask questions, and decide whether or not health coaching is right for you and your goals. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Elizabeth Sherman and Dr. E talk about high-performance coaching. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there.